So today we start our readings in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. And then we'll move on to Ecclesiastes. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And now we turn over to Ecclesiastes um, chapter 1. Verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes ever returning on its course. All the streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. I said to myself, Come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees. Um, fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing, 
my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labour, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Thanks for that, Molly. Uh, The writer C.S. Lewis once said, most people, if they had really learnt to look into their own hearts, would know that they want something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. I wonder if that rings true for you, that life never quite delivers on what it seems to promise. That was certainly the perspective of the writer of Ecclesiastes, who introduces himself to us as the teacher. Uh, Now, it's likely that this teacher was King Solomon, who we'll get to meet a bit more in our One King series next month. Uh, Solomon was a son of David. He was a, a king in Jerusalem. And he also lived the extravagant sort of lifestyle that uh, the teacher describes there in chapter 2. Uh, if Solomon did write Ecclesiastes, then it gives quite a bit of authenticity to the teacher's quest. Because if anyone can find meaning in life, then, then surely it's King Solomon, the wisest and wealthiest person in the world at that time. Uh, whoever this teacher is, his perspective on life is pretty blunt Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Uh, this word that is translated here as meaningless has, has a, a range of, of meanings, like um, fleeting, futile, vanity, mist. Um, t- to, um, to illustrate it, um, about a year ago, I had Rory with me in the bathroom when the, the shower was on and the, the bathroom was fogging up and um, Rory is about five months old at the time and he was getting used to, to grabbing onto things. He was, he was at that age. And so he saw the, the steam coming towards him and he was trying to, trying to grab hold of the steam and trying to, trying to work out why he couldn't grab the, grab the steam. Um, so if you want a mental picture of what the, what the author is saying about life here in Ecclesiastes, just picture a, a baby trying to grab steam. That's kind of what he's, what he's getting at. He, what he's saying is we can never pin life down. We can never get life quite the way we want it. And as much as we'd love to, we can never hit the pause button when things are going well and make the good moments last forever. Uh, The teacher's first observation is that life is frustrating. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun, he asks. The teacher, he wants to get a good return on his investment in life. Um, he wants it to be all worthwhile, but instead he, he looks around him and he sees the, the fleeting, futile and frustrating nature of life. Generations of people come and go, each one forgotten by the next. The wind and the streams never arrive at a final destination. Eyes and ears are, are never satisfied. There's always something else to see and to hear. What has been will be again, he says. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Uh, now, this is observable for us in lots of different ways. I, I change nappies, I wash my car, I mow the lawn, I do the dishes, knowing that I'll have to do it again sometime soon. Um, we never quite feel like we've arrived 
in life, do we? Life is full of loose ends that we'd love to, love to tie up neatly in a bow and, and finish, but we can't. Human nature doesn't change. Uh, the last couple of hundred years were, were meant to be the era where science and technology left religion behind and, and took humanity to the next level. And instead, it's just helped us to fight bigger wars. There's nothing new under the sun when it comes to who we are. And this all leads the teacher to a, a somber conclusion. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, he says. All of them are meaningless, are chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. The world is a broken place, he says, and we can't fix it. In fact, we're more likely to catch the wind with our bare hands than we are to achieve gain under the sun. Life is frustrating, the teacher observes, and even the good things in life leave us wanting more. And here he, he moves from general observations of the world around him to, to his own personal experience. He tells us about his quest to find meaning in life. Now he begins, he begins his quest by looking for meaning in wisdom. Uh, Solomon was an extremely wise man, but he, he finds that it doesn't satisfy him at all. Being wise doesn't solve the frustrations of his life. It just teaches him more about them. So instead, he turns his mind to entertainment and to pleasure. But even the best wine, the funniest stand-up comedians, and the most beautiful women at the king's disposal can't fill the emptiness. And so he turns instead to his work. He undertakes great projects, houses, vineyards, gardens, parks, possessions beyond measure. As we read the book of 1 Kings, we see that Solomon's wealth and his building projects were extraordinary. Yet, he says, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So even for the wealthiest, wisest person who had it all, everything comes up short. He examines his life and he sees no meaning, no gain. And the reason for that is that he comes to a realisation that he's going to keep coming back to throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, which is the unescapable reality of death. Despite all his wealth and wisdom, he knows that he's going to come to the same end as the most foolish person who ever lives. Death is a, a crushing blow to the teacher, because he knows that one day he's going to have to leave behind everything that he's worked hard for to someone who hasn't earned it. And I don't want to spoil too many surprises in our One King series, but in Solomon's case, that was a well-founded fear, um, because after he died, the foolishness of his son actually ruined the kingdom that Solomon had worked so hard to build. Life is frustrating. Good things leave us wanting more. Even the, the man who was best placed to live a fulfilling life has failed. There's no meaning and no gain under the sun. Now, perhaps um, this has been a good week for you. Things are, things are going well for you in life and, and you feel a bit more positive than this. You, you read something like this and you think, well, that's a, that's a bit negative, isn't it? 
And if you're anything like me, that's, that's the side of you that, that you want other people to see, isn't it? The secure, happy side. My life is great. Everything's going well. But sometimes life isn't great. It can be overwhelming. It can be frustrating. It can be sad. It can be messy. Sometimes life isn't what we expected it to be at all. It leaves us wanting more. Maybe that's where you're at right now. The good news is that there is more. And in fact, we were made for more. Uh, The teacher has spent a couple of chapters weighing us down with the negatives, which there'll be a a bit more of that throughout Ecclesiastes. Um, But in the final couple of verses of chapter 2, he reaches a positive note as he brings God into the picture. He sees that food, drink and work are gifts from God for our enjoyment. To the, the person who pleases him, he says, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, that is the the person who doesn't care about pleasing God, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth and handing it over to the one who pleases God. Can you see here the key is seeking to please God? The teacher's quest for meaning and for for fulfillment in life was a a self-centered quest. He was living for self. It was his own happiness that was his chief aim. It's all I, 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 me, me, me. It's all about him. And it leaves him seeking meaning and fulfillment in things that were never meant to provide that. See, God gives us good things. He gives us wisdom, wine, food, laughter, pleasure, home building projects, and and so much more. But good good gifts get spoiled when we try to get more from them than they offer us. The key to enjoying these good gifts is recognizing them to be exactly that, gifts. And if the gifts are good, then how awesome must the giver be? Alicia bought me a gift a while back. It was a, um, a face mask with seals on it. Apparently, it makes me look more approachable when I wear it. Um, it's, a, it's a nice gift. I really like it. It's um, not quite as useful now that the, the mandates are gone, but it's still a lovely gift. Um, but, but how sad would it be for me to obsess over this face mask, to, to take selfie photos on Instagram and to, to tell everyone about how great this face mask is, um, but completely ignore the person who gave it to me? See, that gift represents just a, a tiny, tiny, invisible fraction of, of who Alicia is to me and the joy that I have in knowing her. If the gift is good, then the giver must be better. And it's the same for our relationship with God. Seeking meaning and gain in anything apart from God sells us short. True satisfaction can only ever come from God himself. Now, to, to kind of bring this into the more personal space, I wonder, what is it do you think that you need to be happy? Have you ever, ever thought to yourself, I just, need, I just need this, and then everything in life will be good? The teacher is telling us it's a dead end. It's a dead end. There'll be something else that you want. There'll be another barrier to your happiness that pops up. 
I thought when I was in high school that um, all, all I wanted in life was to, to get the grades that I needed to get into my uni course. That was, that was all I wanted. I'll be, I'll be great after that, God. That's all I, all I want. Uh, and then I thought, oh, I just want to have a job after I finish uni. That's just, I'll be happy once I've got that graduate job coming out of uni. And then I thought, gee, I'd, be, I'd love to get married. It'd be great to, great to get married, wouldn't it? That'll be, my life will be complete once I'm married. And then, oh, it'd be great to have children. It'd be really great to, great to have children. That'll, that'll be when I'm really, I'm happy and I'm complete as a person. And, you know, of course, you, you have children, and I've only got one, so there'll be people that know this better than me, but you just, your happiness then just gets tied up in, in their lives. As, as someone once said, you're, you're only as happy as your least happy child. I wasn't really expecting a laugh out of that, but <laughs> thanks. Um, you get the idea, though, don't you? We, we never arrive in life. There's always another loose end that needs to be tied up. Um, it's tempting to, to seek our, our satisfaction in the, the same sorts of places that the, the teacher looks. I mean, how good is it living in Adelaide in the 21st century? Even King Solomon didn't have cars, he didn't have Wi-Fi, didn't have modern medicine. He didn't have so many of the luxuries that we take for granted. Uh, these are good things. We should enjoy them. But they were never meant to satisfy us. God created humans to be fully satisfied in Him, to enjoy a, a perfect and a never-ending relationship with Him. Uh, but we rejected Him. We chose to seek our, our meaning and our happiness in created things rather than the Creator, in gifts rather than the giver. Uh, which is what the Bible calls sin. The brokenness and the, the futility that the teacher sees as he, as he looks at the world around him, it shouldn't surprise us uh, because it's a consequence of sin. Uh, we, we read about it in the Romans reading that, that Molly brought to us. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. And we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. But frustration and death aren't the end of the story. Our sin and our broken relationship with our Creator aren't the end of the story. Because something happened after the teacher's lifetime, something that even he didn't know about, something that helps us to understand his words in a way that not even he did. Jesus, God's own son, died to deal with our sin once and for all. My sin, your sin, to bear it himself so that we don't have to. And not only that, but he was raised back to life as well to prove that there's something on the other side of death. He's dealt not only with our, our guilt before God, but also with the harsh reality of death. And so if you're here this morning just just checking church out, not sure about the whole God thing. This is what is at the heart of Christianity. Believing that Jesus died and was raised back to life so that we can be right with God. Uh, so we live now in a broken world with the, the reality of sin and, and brokenness all around us. But we await what's to come. The day when Jesus returns and he brings healing to his broken world forever. The gospel message gives us this amazing hope. And it shows us as well just how satisfied 
we can be in Jesus. What meaning and what gain we have in him. One who loved us so much, even when we'd wandered far, far off, that he was willing to die in our place so that we could be brought back to God. Jesus is a greater treasure than anything this world can offer us. The teacher has told us that everything done under the sun is meaningless, that there's, there's nothing to be gained under the sun, uh, which seems like quite a pessimistic conclusion. But, but can you see his point here? If my joy and, and my identity are tied up in my work and my hobbies and, and my success, those things are going to let me down at some point. I'll, I'll lose my job. I'll, I'll fail at something in life. Those, these things will never truly satisfy me. But if my meaning in life is found in the God who made me, who saved me, and, and who gives me good gifts, then I can enjoy those gifts without being a slave to them. So where are you seeking your meaning and your satisfaction in life? In the good things that you have? In the good things that you want? Or in the God who gives us good things for our enjoyment as a tiny, tiny hint of just how awesome he is and just how much he has in store for us? If the gifts are good, then how awesome must the giver be? Are you seeking your fulfillment in something that can provide it? Life under the sun might be meaningless. It might be frustrating. It might be full of loose ends and letdowns. But when we look beyond the sun, it changes everything. It doesn't mean that we're always going to be happy. It doesn't mean that pain won't come our way. We've, we've um, seen that well and truly this week. But it does mean that our meaning, our purpose, our security and our hope are tied up in something far beyond our current circumstances and in, and in someone far greater and stronger than us. Our hope is in the grace that's awaiting us in Jesus. We're going to sing in a moment in response to, to what we've heard from God's word and we're going to sing about this grace that is awaiting us in Jesus. As we're doing that, um, anyone in years seven to nine can, can head out with their leaders just to um, talk about the Bible passage that we've looked at and um, how it applies uh, to our lives. Um, but let me pray as we prepare to sing. Father, you have created us to have abundant joy and fulfillment in you. We pray that in those seasons when life feels meaningless and frustrating, and in those seasons of grief and despair, that we would set our sights beyond the sun and we would seek our satisfaction in you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.